right. So we are in First Samuel 21, and I was talking with uh, with Pastor Junior a little while back, and we were wondering about where to go with, with the month of May and, and what to do in terms of our in terms of our, our study time. And as we talked, we, we were just kind of thinking like, man, May is just going to be one of those weird months where, um, and I realize our governor has come out with like a five phase, you know, reentry kind of thing. And that, that's a new piece of information since we, we discussed this. But we were looking at the month of May as kind of an awkward in-between month where a lot of things might start getting different in the month of June, but May seems to be like a one more, I guess in like the, the old Baptist church I grew up in, we called it a linger longer, like just linger a little bit longer. You stay there. Month, May is going to be like that kind of month. And so we're, we were trying to think it's like, a, it's like a wait month. We're just here where we're waiting. And so the, the idea of uh, who can teach us to wait, who in scripture could actually teach us to wait and believe it or not, David, David has this weird time in his life where he's a fugitive. He is the anointed king. He, the anointed, like, in, in politics, we would call him like the president elect. Like he's going to be the next one. And, and yet he's being chased around the country by a madman and his life is on the line. He's a fugitive. And so it's, it's just a weird time in Israel's history and a very awkward time in David's life, but it's an in-between time. And in this time, David can teach us to wait. And he's a great example of waiting. And because he is like an already and not yet. Here he is, and he's going to be the next king. But how is he going to go about his business in this time of his life? And so I put on the top of the page here some introductory verses and just kind of to set the stage here in First Samuel. First Samuel is one of those books where it is a political dynamo of a book. You will learn so much about power and about influence and about what to do and what not to do. But in the very in, in First Samuel 13, you've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established your he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to be ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So like Samuel calling his shot to Saul there. And then a few chapters later, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Cause evidently Samuel's in Jesse's house and I'm going to anoint one of your, one of your sons, have him pass in front of me and a bunch of, you know, tall strapping, you know, Disney's beauty and the beast Gaston kind of guy is marching by and Samuel's going, wow, look at these guys. And God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Dang. And then in Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, but a harmful spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, see, David was like a guitar guy. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So Saul's relationship with David, whether it's hatred, whether it's anger, whether it's jealousy, all the above, it is done. And David has to get out of Dodge. And so David takes off. And he, he and Jonathan have a moment there where, the, you know, they, they've got this great relationship, great friendship. 
and then David's gone. I mean, he, he gets out and he is, um, he's out. So here we are in our text today. David is on the run and he's got to run. He's got to run two places. He's got, he, he's got to figure out where to go. And so I'll begin here in chapter 21. He first, he goes to God's house. In fact, tonight's, tonight's class, each of these classes has a question. And tonight's question is, where do you turn? So we begin here in 1 to 9, 1 Samuel 21. David went to Nob. It's, it looks like Nob. Um, you could say Nob. That's fine. Nob. Uh, that B could be a V. It's a Nob. 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 We could say Nob. We'll say Nob. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. David. So right away there, David, so he's playing a game. And he's, I don't know if David can think he can trust this guy. We don't know yet. But right there, we as a reader understand, okay, that's not true. Because David is running for his life. But I digress. No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So David's hungry. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. Look in the, the book of Exodus. Check out the, uh, the consecrated bread of the presence. Only the priests are allowed to eat this kind of stuff. And so this is something that's part of uh, the the tabernacle because there's no temple yet because the, the the tabernacle and here is something that and Jesus is going to mention this when he's talking to the Pharisees especially in Matthew and this is going to come up but uh, okay so I, I only have the consecrated bread and, uh, and and he brings up something here that is kind of baffles people provided the men have kept themselves from women and I guess that goes back to uh, holiness and separation and uh, that kind of stuff. Okay, so the temple structure here, tabernacle rules, regulations. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. So this guy's not an Israelite. He's an Edomite. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. But there's no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Wow. That's a, an opening scene there. Already, those of us who are, we're already thinking things about David. Like, oh, David, why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? And we're already in this moment where, what's going on? And David is, is there anything salvageable here for David's sake? And I put to you, it is. There, there is a lot. And number one here, you can learn a lot about a person by seeing where they turn to in times of trouble. When you are going through something, it's like, where do you turn? And uh, 
you can learn a lot about somebody by seeing who they turn to. And when you're going through something really hard to see where they turn, to see the kind of things they turn to, the kind of people they turn to. And that is, you, you can just learn a lot about someone like that. And number two here, David appears to be turning to the faith of his childhood. And uh, let's just call this out. What are some things here from his childhood you're seeing in the text? Go ahead and just answer out. Anyone? Well, his, his, uh, his keepsake from uh, Goliath. Yeah, he was a younger guy at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, that was, would you call his time uh, before Goliath in the Valley of Elah a great moment of faith or not a great moment of faith? Yes, great. Yeah, very much so. And he is, it's like that comes before him. I don't know if he was expecting that sword to be there. I, the text doesn't even tell us how the sword got there, as far as I know. And he seems to be surprised that it's there. He's asking for any odd weapon. He has no weapon. And he, wants, he, he just needs to have a weapon. And the, you know, it doesn't tell the priest why. But he's like, do you have anything on hand? And well, we've got this sword, you know, that sword. Oh, and kind of like David, you know, that sword, the one that you killed. You know, you showed up with a sling and a bunch of rocks. But uh, the sword finished the battle. And it finished the moment there. Yeah, this great connection to a faith of his as a young person, Goliath. That's pretty cool. Anything else? Is there anything else faith-related that uh, is going on here? That's the big one. Is there anything else going on? Even the fact that he went to see the priest of all people. There you go. Isn't that cool? David is going through a big bunch of trouble, and he hangs out where God hangs out. It's like that, that was the tabernacle. That was God's house, as it were. I mean, he hangs out where God, where God's people are. And that's just a great object lesson. Because when we go through things, go to church. Go, go find people who love God and who love you and who are good influences on you, who can open up God's word with you. So grab your trusted us, your writing utensil, put on your thinking caps. The blue question here. Think back to a time when you were seriously in trouble. Where did you turn? And I, I was going to ask for Mick if he had an example of a time where he was in trouble and where he turned. But, but I, I just want you on your own. We don't have time to hear all your stories, but think of your story and write something down. You were in trouble. Where did you go? And uh, Mick, do you have a, an example of when uh, a time where you were in tr seriously in trouble and, and who or where, where you turned? Yeah, um, you know, this happened back in 2012, um, just shortly after I uh, hit my 40th birthday. Um, by Halloween of, uh, of that year, I had gotten a letter in, in the mailbox, and it startled me because it, it was a letter from DCFS. I had gotten in trouble. I'm like, what did I do? And apparently... Um, some weeks earlier, I had dropped my family's T-bone, and it was very small. Like, you can't even see it in, in photographs. And, uh, and I got a letter from UCFS. Now, I mean, I had been a great human being always, but I had never gotten into trouble like that. So this was a, a, a very, dis, uh, very distressful moment for myself and the family. And 
I just started praying, God, please get me out of this, you know, because, I mean, I don't know what's going on here. And long story short, the officer came, checked it out, realized that there was nothing unhealthy in our family dynamic and pretty much throughout the case. But it was still a scary time when we were going through it. Hello? Yeah, we, we, we hear you. We hear you, Mick. All right, cool. You had, you oh, yeah, had a, a fun connection there for a bit, but we hear you. Yeah, I saw that. I'm getting this internet message on my thing over here. I'm like, oh, great. Did it go across? Yeah. Okay, yes. cool. So where, where did you turn? Well, again, we prayed as a family, you know. We turned to God and, you know, God delivered us, you know. I remember, oh, this is back when I was uh, pastoring a, a church previous. We had an elder, and this elder has, has since um, gone to heaven. And he was a, a really rancorous, cantankerous person, and he really headed out for me. It was a very small church, and one or two voices can have a lot of power. And he really, really, really headed out for me. And I remember coming to a point with God where I didn't know if – I mean, I wasn't fearing for my safety, but that's kind of fearing for the ministry. It's like, if this guy has his way, this church is going to be divided and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on here. And I was facing a potential divided church and somebody who uh, was just a very angry individual and a very, just kind of a, un, it was just a very difficult situation. And I was all by myself. I had one other elder and that guy was that elder. And it was just a really, really hard situation in a very small church. And I just remember having this moment with God or I turned to my, my best friend, my, my best, I guess my wife's my best friend, but it, my, my best kind of like guy friend, I turned to him. I was like, you know what? I, I don't know what to do. And he helped me to pray. And I'm still indebted to that man for helping me to pray. And I just remember having this moment with God. I'm like, God, this is a great put up or shut up kind of moment. It's like, God, I'm just going to trust you. And I'm just going to put a lot of things on the table. And I'm just going to just leave everything right here. And there's a lot of things about me that need to be different. They need to change. And I kind of went like an Old Testament vow with God. It's like, okay, God, here it is. I'm doing, I'm just putting this out there and I'm just depending upon you to protect me and to protect mm -hmm. my family and to protect this little church. And, and believe it or not, God did. And God protected us in a mighty way. And, and it had nothing to do with anything, but that very next winter, I mean, that, that man fell and, and like got injured and, and eventually had to go to the hospital and he, he eventually died. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But it's like God, God provided, and I, that wasn't the way I wanted it to be provided, but that's just the way it happened, and it's like, it was just a moment where I didn't have any other option. I didn't know what to do. I was, I mean, I was getting gray and white hairs in my beard that are still here to this day because of this guy. It's like just losing sleep and tears and prayers. It's like, who do you turn to in trouble? That says a lot about you. David, he goes to God's house. And what's really cool about this time period, this fugitive time period, is we get some psalms. And uh, I, I, I put on the in, the in the handout here quotes from three of those psalms. And, and Psalm 52 is from this time period where David, where David goes to God's house. And it says here, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. That's a nice verse. And that comes, if you look back at Psalm 2, look at the very top. It should say something about when David went to, 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 to Nob 
And when, when Samuel, when Saul was going to attack the priest at Nob, and where does David go from here? This gets kind of humorous. David goes to uh, Gath. And Gath is, um, is famous for uh, being the place Goliath of Gath. This is, he goes to Goliath's hometown. And he's, he's carrying Goliath's sword. And he goes to Goliath's hometown. So in 10 to 15, that day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So, and get this, David pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Man. So David, <laughs> he pretends to be insane. And then I love this line. This is for me. And this, for me, this is like top 10 most humorous points of the Bible right here. And you may not laugh, but I think this is hilarious. What, what the King says here. Akish said to his servants, look at that man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? And here we go. Am, am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? <laughs> so like the narrator of, of 1 Samuel is taking a shot at the Philistines. It's like they have, it's like the king saying, I've got crazy people everywhere. Do I need one more? This guy's this slobbering dude in front of me. Am I so short of madmen that you got to bring this guy to carry on? Ah. Uh, must this man come into my house? So David, uh, you know, all of us are social distancing today, today and today's time period. David is social distancing as well. And he's social distancing himself from Saul. And he's, he's putting as much geography as he can between him and his mad king trying to kill him. Because he doesn't want to dodge any more spears that, you know, to pin him into the wall. He's done with that. And so... David social distances himself from Saul as much as possible. So he goes into enemy territory. This is the one spot Saul's not going to go. He's not going to go to Gath. He's not going to go hang out in a foreign land. If Saul goes there, he's going to war. And Saul, you know, and Saul's not going to war right now with, with, with the Philistines. So this is David trying to save himself here. And David, number four here, David fails to join the Philistines here, but humorously escapes. We got a couple of Psalms here from this time period. Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The text said David was afraid. And then in Psalm 56, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56. So make, what, what ways does God deliver those who turn to him? When, when people turn to God, what are some ways in which God delivers his people? Ways that he delivers people, huh? Um, one of the things usually that I have found is that he generally corrects my uh, my thinking. He generally corrects my thinking in, in, in many regards. Because a lot of times I find that a lot of the problems I find myself have a lot to do with the way I'm thinking or, or seeing a situation with my attitude about it. So a lot of times he has to correct my thinking on it. 
And, and I guess with that, I would, I would say focus, you know, because a lot of times when we are in the middle of something, we're not focused on him. We're focused on either our own strengths or our own wits about how to resolve our issues. Yeah. You know, God, God provides for our needs and in Christ, God provided for our largest need. I just did a funeral today and it was, it's a Christian funeral. And at a Christian funeral, there's a general hope that, you know, we mourn, but we don't mourn like we don't have any hope there. There's a general hope there. And I, and I gave a, a, a homily today on, on, on John chapter 11, where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he calls Martha on it. He's like, do you believe this? And he doesn't let Martha off the hook. And so, so, so yeah, it's, it's, there's a general hope that we have because, because through Christ, God provides for our need and our chief need is our salvation and the debt that we cannot pay. And God provides for that. And if God can provide for the impossible need, that one right there to actually reconcile a sinful me with a holy him, then yeah, then the rest, it's like, I can keep trusting you, God, because you've provided the hardest need and you, you've taken care of all the heavy lifting. And so then I just trust you. And David's later going to say, I trust you, God. Mm. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Mm. And David is, D David's gone to God's house and David's gone to Goliath's hometown. And God delivers those who turn to him. God's never going to give you the Heisman pose and, you know, say, you know, heck no, get away from me. You are not uh, worthy of my attention. No, God loves you. And if you turn, you know, we're told to draw near to God. And he draws, draws near to you. And so he goes from uh, God's house to Goliath's house. And then I'm going to make the screen go down here a little bit so we can see what we got going on here. Okay. Then he's going to go and we're going to be in, um, in chapter 22 now. And this is where it's going to get dark and scary real quick. And, and I want you to, uh, this is something that we're going to get, we're going to get some reactions of, of Saul. And it's not, it's not going to be pretty at all. And, uh, but you know what? The Bible presents characters, warts and all. We, we get to see who, we get to see what really happened. That's how I know the Bible is true because nobody would make this kind of stuff up. This is pretty grisly. So David here goes to uh, a cave hideout. And another foreign king. So we're in chapter 22 now. And one to, uh, one to five. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adulam. We don't really know where this place is. But when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, and the text could say they were bitter with life. And have you ever been there? Are you bitter, Naomi, from the book of Ruth? And they, they gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Wow. From there, David went to Mitzpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So we let, he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. Because remember, David is a Judah guy. And so God doesn't want his hero to be hanging out in Moab. God wants his hero, even though he's in danger, to get back to Judah. So he sent the prophet Gad to find him. So David left and went to the forest of Hareth. So we have here, number one, David's family would no doubt be also in danger from Saul. 
Yeah, if Saul is going to go after David, who was a very popular guy at this time, the, the women were, the children were singing songs about this guy, then Jesse and Aminadab, uh, you know, Eliab, all those brothers, they weren't safe. And David, you know, bless his heart, David's taking care of his family. And David is, and believe it or not, if you go back into the genealogy, who was Jesse's, David's father's grandma? Ruth. And my favorite book of the Bible. There's a Moab connection here. David, believe it or not, is a mixed race guy. He's got Moabite in him, as well as Judahite. And so David's got family connections in Moab. So David could show up and he could, you know, play cards or call in favors or whatever he's doing to get help. And uh, he's got he's got some pull there, evidently, because the king doesn't kick him out. And so, yeah, uh, he has a cave hideout. You know what's really cool is that David. I was talking about this this morning. We had we had this Zoom meeting talking about leadership with with, with a bunch of people from the from uh, from the church, and I said it's like God keeps treating David like a video game, and he keeps leveling him up as a character he keeps putting him in moments where his faith can shine and where he has to make this he has to make decisions to honor god or not honor god and here david is hiding out in a cave and god brings him 400 ne'er-do-wells and guys who are bitter and struggling and dealing with life and just ugh. God brings these guys to David and they find a they find someone they can turn to. And David, I like David here because he turns into a care pastor. David just takes care of these guys and David sees a real potential on these guys. And these guys become fiercely loyal to David. They become the beginnings of an army for David. These are like David's bros right away. And, and God brings these people to David and David's in hiding. David's out in a cave trying to figure life out and God brings him opportunities to glorify him for David to glorify God. God's going to bring you opportunities in your life. God may not bring you health. He may not bring you riches. He may not bring you anything you're looking for, but God's going to bring you opportunities to give him glory. And he did so with David. We got to pay attention to those moments. And yeah. And make any thoughts here before we sally forth into the assault. Anything stand out to you that, that we should know? And as a reminder, everybody, if you've got some background noise, it's probably a good idea to mute your microphone because we're going to get every snap, crackle, and pop you've got in your house um, through this. But, but yeah, so make any thoughts here before we sally forth into what uh, Saul, what's going oh, on? Yeah, with the, uh, with the additional people that basically came – came to him in the caves, you kind of see a, a very pastoral image there for David. So he, he's a shepherd of people. And you see that, which is basically a very important quality for a king to have. Um, and the other thing is that at the time, David probably is trying to think, is probably thinking, I don't really need to carry more dead weight around. But yet, as you, as you said, these are people who are going to step up for David later. And here, even though it wasn't part of David's plan to go and, uh, and let me gather an army, God's providing him one. It's a great moment. And, well, and as we know, 
there's another character in the story and, and the, the guy who actually has all the power, it seems, uh, is, is King Saul. And Saul is, uh, well, we've already discovered he's, he's not all there. He's, he's definitely um, kind of power hungry. He doesn't get his way and he tries to kill David and he's, David's on the run. Well, here's his reaction in uh, verses 6 to 19. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill in Gebeah. Gebeah is his hometown. In fact, they called it um, Gebeah of Saul. That was his area. Okay. With all of his officials standing at his side, he said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Not, none of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. So we can hear like the smallest violin be starting to play. We can start to hear Saul the, getting the political machinations going. And it's almost like one of those uh, re-election campaign videos. You know, this guy here is saying this, but I'm telling you this. And here he is, Doeg the Edomite, back on the scene. Standing with Saul's officials, he said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitum at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Uh-oh. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob. Because remember, priest, to be a priest, you had to be a son of a priest. And so Ahitub Ahimelech and all of his boys, they're all priests. They could all eat that bread, that kind of stuff. Here he is. And uh, now listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? He can't even name the guy. He, he's so, David is like a, like a cuss word. It's like a black jelly bean in his mouth. He's like, oh, the son of Jesse giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? That's a cool line. It's like, it's like dude's been praying for David for a while. Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servants or any of his, of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing about all, at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Uh, you've got to get to be a point in your life where you utter a sentence like that. It's like, go kill all the pastors right now. Wow. Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Well, good job. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's loyalty, but it's like you know what? But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna raise my hand to God. Are you kidding me? I mean, I love you, King, but I, I can't do. So they're not, they're not willing to do that. So the king ordered Doeg. The foreigner, the Edomite, the son of Edom, not the son of Judah or Benjamin, the Edomite. You to it. Your turn. 
You go do it. You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day, he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, priests. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Wow. Wow. That is, uh, that's politics for you. That is politics when there is no politics. It's just the king. And Saul gets what he wants. And Saul right now wants loyalty. Saul demands obedience. And Saul doesn't want option B. He knows he's ticked God off. He, know God, he knows God has moved on and has moved on to David. And he's feeling all these things toward David. And David's on the run. And Saul, as you see, well, you see, appears pretty powerless. And people who are powerless, who, don't, who, who like to control things, they don't have any control of the situation, they start lashing out. We see this in toddlers and young children. We see this in people who can't handle their emotions. And that's just clearly saw here as well. Um, a couple points here. The priest reveals that he inquired of God for David. And that's something we didn't get from earlier in the text. Now, Doeg said that, but we didn't know that. We just thought David was coming for supplies. We just thought David was hungry and David needed a weapon. But evidently, David was also asking for prayer. That says a lot. That paints in the, the, the that, that kind of colors in the, the, the dark spots we didn't have color on earlier. It's like David had a spiritual dimension to his willingness to go to God's house. It wasn't just, okay, God's going to take care of me, so I'm going to get some food. It was, he was going for prayer. He was going to, to would you inquire of God for me? Would you actually be, be a priest and ask God what God's opinion is about this and about my situation? And um, Ahimelech said that he did that. And mm. Doeg, the Edomite, said that he did that too. So it's like we got two, two things here. Second of all, um, Saul's self-centered actions actually brought the fulfillment of a prophecy. It's really easy to look at Saul here and go, oh my gosh, what a jerk. And yes, he is a jerk. And yes, this is a bad moment here. But go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel. And that little boy, Samuel, living in, the, in, the, in the, the household of Eli, you know, remember Hannah, his mother, prays for a son. If you, give me a, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you, God. And she does. And so he goes into the household of Eli, the high priest, and he, and, and, and he gets waking up, woken up in the middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel. And eventually Eli catches on and says, okay, God's speaking to you. Answer. And God tells him, Eli is going down. Paraphrase me. Eli and his family, they're all going down. This is chapter two. Check this out in your spare time. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter two and check this out. Not one of these people is going to reach maturity. They're not, they're not going to live a long life, basically. They're not going to pass on the priesthood to their sons. And because Eli didn't do what God wanted him to do as a high priest, and God had and God prophesied his line is not going to last. And believe it or not. He used, Saul, he used Samuel, excuse me, Saul to do it, to take him out. And this, believe it or not, is a fulfillment of that prophecy. God, we don't always like the way God keeps his word, but God keeps his word. And when God promises something, he does. So, so if, you're, if you're looking at this from a whole book standpoint, you're saying, you're, you're reading this and going, well, at some point, the house of Eli is going to have to go down because God said they're going to go down. And this is where they're destroyed. And this is where they're, they're done. And so the priesthood is over. But wait, verse 20. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, 
named Abiathar. He escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Wow. That's quite a moment for David there. Yep. Now, as a student of, of 1 Samuel, we know that he's not responsible. This is God handling his business. But as a character in the story, he's taking it upon himself with a grieving young man who just lost everybody. And as a good leader, he's taking responsibility. This is like a buck stopping here kind of moment. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. That man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You'll be safe with me. Wow. So the future king and the last surviving priest joined forces. They're fellow fugitives. God, the two people who are with God, the priest, the last priest, and uh, the king elect, the anointed guy, uh, they're on the run together. And David responds to the situation with maturity and empathy. You know, Saul and David are, are kind of in a contrast here in where to turn, who to trust, and when you're in trouble. Um, Saul, Mick, where do you think Saul turns? When Saul is in trouble, where do you think he, we see where David turns, but where does Saul seem to turn? What, what is his, what is the, the place or the person or the thing that he runs to when he's going through something? Well, we know later in the book, he's going to turn to the witches of Endor. Yeah, Samuel's going to die first, but yeah, it's, he's yeah. going to turn to places, yeah. Saul seems to turn to a power structure. He seems to turn to himself and his political power base, his system that he has, his kingdom. He's going to find some kind of answer in that because he's on the throne. And David, David's running to God. David's running another thing we're going to see Joel sorry about that no you're good um is that that um Saul whenever he did turn to somebody else I mean it was always out of self-interest yeah yeah David's early years there's not a lot of self there it seems like or if it is there's just not not like Saul Saul is a great contrast and every time God calls David a man after his own heart, it's just a reminder that that's not Saul. And, and, and God expects his children to answer a certain way and to respond to the, to the hard events of life in a certain way. So here we are in this quarantine stay-at-home season for one more month. And where do you turn in times of trouble? And I invite you, respond like David. Turn to God. Remember, remember God's faithfulness and that God was never more faithful than when David was on the, in that valley facing this giant of a, of a giant Goliath and uh, saying, you know what? The victory is the Lord's. Bring it. God, this is God's battle and God's going to take care of this. And you're not going to talk about my God that way. And God's going to take care of you. And David showed up when no one else would. And God was faithful. And David's going back to that. And so remember God's faithfulness in your life. Where do you turn in times of trouble? Turn that way. And uh, God brought uh, a saw grass after power in politics. David turned to his familiar faith. 
And God brought David a priest, and God, believe it or not, brought David a people to shepherd. That's pretty cool. Yeah. David's already a shepherd. He knows about being a shepherd. He's going to turn to the Lord and call him the Lord's my shepherd. And now God's bringing David a flock. It sounds like a very needy flock. And um, the squeaky wheel kind of flock. And um, he's bringing a shepherd a flock. We're, uh, we are uh, done. So as far as I'm concerned, unless Mickey, you got something else you'd like to, like to add here. And yeah, I, just kind of to show the natures of Saul and David, too, because I think a lot of this book plays off a, a comparison between Saul and David. You know, David, these are not necessarily David's finest moments in these two chapters, believe it or not. Um, I mean, the fact that he lied to a priest, cost the priesthood their lives, um, there's that. But the other thing is this. When God asked uh, in chapter 15 Saul to uh, wipe out the Amalekites, and as you know, we, we did the book of Esther not too long ago, Saul didn't do it. But here he has Doeg wipe out the priesthood at Nob. You know, so we, we see that, that Saul, when it's his stuff, He's on top of it. When it's God's business, he's not quite as thorough. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Always remember when you've got Saul and you've got David, always remember the contrast. And a contrast, remember, is what's different. A comparison is what's alike. Contrast is what's different here. And how is David consistently different than Saul and vice versa? Mm -hmm. And that's how you f figure out um, – that, that, that's, that's how you figure out what being a person after God's own heart is. So when Samuel confronts Saul, Saul, you know, tries to wiggle off the hook. When Nathan the priest, excuse me, the prophet confronts David after the whole Bathsheba thing, David doesn't wiggle off a hook. David gives us Psalm 51. Against you alone have I sinned, God. It's like a person after God's own heart responds that way, not like what Saul did. And so we're getting differences here. As we wrap this up, does anybody have a question uh, about this text that is something we might be able to answer about turning? Um, is there anything want to give an opportunity for any, any questions out there in our group? And, and if you do, you might need to unmute yourself if you have muted yourself. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the share here. So I can see everybody as best I can. But yeah, so is, is anybody, anybody have a question about our text tonight that you just, uh, you really just been burning on you this whole time that we didn't cover? Um, well, look at everybody. I see you. Look at that. <laughs> I can only see like two or three of you because of the share. And by the way, thank you for that, for, for uh, whoever, I think it was Lula, whoever helped me to learn how to share that. Thank you. I, I now, I now know how to do that. And uh this is a cool text, wasn't it? Yeah. This is this is not something they, they open you with, but David. We, we, you get David and Goliath. You, get, you know, a few of us get David and Bathsheba. We get the bad stuff like that. We get the good stuff. We don't get the, let me run to a foreign land and pretend I'm a madman to try to wiggle out of danger. Oh, that's just not what they open you up with. And then... Let's go hide in a cave, and God's going to bring forward your two closest friends. 
I, I'm sorry, someone trying to say something? I, I couldn't hear. No, that was me probably. <laughs> I couldn't hear what you said. You sound like you're I think somebody is in that cave with David. We can't. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm seeing, I guess, that unstable message here. Oh, 